And we're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. We are reviewing an award-winning movie that might have Oscar's legs. Mm-hmm. And if it does, I, I don't know what that says about the current state of the Academy, but we're going to get into all of it as we review Annette today in an Oscars profile episode. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also, Mike. So as I enjoy doing on this podcast, mm. I felt like we needed to review this one. Because mm-hmm. you would have very strong feelings about this movie. <laughs> and I am t- I tend to be more even-keeled, I would say, right? I mean, we I both agree. can yes. admit this. I tend to be down the middle at times, even in my expectations, etc. Whereas mm-hmm. you tend to vacillate a little bit. Yes. And uh, I am dying to know what you think of this movie. Because if I had to bet... Like, would you love this movie or hate this movie? Would you somehow be in the middle? I could have flipped the coin. I would have no idea. I really don't know how to read you these days. And we'd have to do a lot of, like, you know, psychoanalyzing of one another. But I would really have to go back in time and look at every single Oscar sprint profile we've done and be like, (laughs) well, he liked this one, but he didn't like that. I would be playing games with myself and with your psyche that it just, I don't want to delve that deep. Yeah. to this uh, a, relationship right now. So this is going to be therapeutic. It's a scary place to be, my say. Yeah. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> I think... Uh, I I feel like I'm going to review a Terrence Malick movie. With it. Like, I, I mm. did not like the first hour and 40 minutes. <laughs> but once, once you get through that... <laughs> so yeah i think i think this movie has goods to be delivered no matter who you are i agree i agree but there are definitely highs, but it's it's an interesting interesting watch which we will uh thoroughly explain and examine in this oscars profile if you've not joined us before for an oscars profile episode there are two reviews for the price of one if you've yet to see annette which is going to be coming to amazon prime if you haven't gone out to theaters to see it yet don't worry, you're in a safe space the first half of this episode. Like all Oscars profile and movie event reviews, it's going to be non-spoilers. We'll have a spoiler warning in the middle. All the spoilers, the ins and outs of the plots will be saved for the second half of this episode. Let's get into it, Mike. This thing was directed by Leo's Carax of Holy Motors. He won the Best Director Award at Cannes this year, which we were on top of and talked about. Annette is written by the Sparks Brothers, Ron and Russell Mayle, who also won an award at Cannes for Best Soundtrack. And that guy smoking a cigarette in in a crowded room was Adam Driver, of course. He's (laughs) Oscar-nominated from Marriage Story during their five-minute applause uh, at the French Film Festival next to his French... Okay, wait a minute. Like, I I sat through this movie, right? (laughs) Like... I thought about the the timed applause at Cannes, and if Adam Driver was directly in front of me with Leo's Carex and the and the Sparks Brothers, two minutes maybe. I could not stand and clap for five minutes for this. Well, what is the proper response to this movie? It's probably more in the line of a glare. It's not a, 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 a rousing applause, even from me, who I genuinely like this movie. I, I, I did on both watches, but yeah, I, I, I agree with that interruption to my, uh, I was going to set up Marion Cotillard there, the, the French actress. I and apologize. The French, yeah. But anyway, I think, uh, I think you're right to question how the cinema goers of can react to movies in such a binary way Yes, that really is all ones and no zeros so it's not binary it's just one (laughs) that's that's a great joke yes i agree (laughs) anyway marion cotillard she has shown her opera singing abilities in la vienne rose the of course oscar winning film where Mm -hmm. she took home best actress and michael i think the surprise of this film was simon helberg of the big bang theory old school i mean you go down his cv he's been around forever this guy and i'd never Mm -hmm. seen a performance like this from him before no he was great i agree uh as for Annette, of course, we said it premiered <laughs> at Cannes with that five-minute standing ovation. And the, let's just say the critical reception numbers are pretty darn good, Mike. Yeah, maybe surprisingly so, maybe not. I mean, it is a well-done movie, and it definitely has an intriguing plot to it. We'll get into it, but it has garnered a 70% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes right now and carries a 67 Metascore. There's an 88% audience score. 
but it's Adam Driver and his 49 closest family members and friends, I think, that have weighed in, <laughs> uh, as there's only 50 ratings so far. It's everybody who was in the theater that gave him five minutes, is what right. it is. <laughs> exactly. Five minutes of applause. <laughs> Nonsense. It does carry a 7 out of 10, though, on IMDb on 1,400-plus votes. So well, that's the that. thing. That's the thing. Like, there is an audience for a net, uh, which, of course, is about Is a- there? Yeah, I think so, because I'm like the artsy, extra fartsy, wannabe weirdo who needs a movie like this every now and again. Plus, I do think there are vintage opera. I agree with that. Goods delivered. Yes, I agree with that. But is the opera goods crowd a big portion of the cinema going crowd? (laughs) Well, the opera goods, (laughs) the opera crowd became the musical crowd of the 50 anyway there's a whole (laughs) history of niche audiences and not so niche audiences that you and i as a a couple of bumpkins don't understand necessarily (laughs) because we've never really been that so me right like i'm coming to this with like this renewed fascination for musicals which in a weird way i kind of grew up with and then Mm -hmm. ignored for the next 25 years of my life and now as a film critic i'm kind of going back to like and so is the industry i feel like Well, that's the thing you know yeah like mary poppins sound of music i watched those every day as a kid and then i never watched a musical again unless it was disney animated until my 30s well i I mean good reason they were they there weren't that many high profile ones around i mean that's why chicago was kind of such a breath of fresh air in 2002 Mm-hmm. So. I didn't like Chicago. <laughs> Maybe I'd like it now. <laughs> really? I liked Chicago. I despised yeah. it back in the this day. This is going to be a very, very interesting review as we get into it, but let's talk about the plot premise. A stand-up comedian and his opera singer wife have a two-year-old daughter, that should be in quotes, with a surprising gift. Yeah, that doesn't really get to <laughs> anything before that hour and 40-minute mark, does it? No, it I, sure I agree does with not. you. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, so expectations. I think these tell the stories for us, you know, in, in many cases, we would say. We, we do push this as a kind of principle, a movie-watching mm-hmm. principle sure. that I don't think critics take enough stock in. And I disagree with some critics who are like, your expectations don't matter. And that's fine. I'm, they're people I respect. But I think they do matter because I do, you know, I... I don't think you can be objective. This is all subjective. Anyway. Yeah, I try really hard to go in with no expectations, but it, it fails. You know, it always fails. So that's the thing. Like, I think you probably went into this with higher expectations or definitely some different expectations. But in reading the can reactions, I expected to be bored. Ann Thompson said she was bored. The can reviewers all mentioned to when I was reading their reviews how overlong this movie was. Mm-hmm. So when I go into it, I remember Holy Motors being boring and ridiculous. Hell, as much as I enjoyed the Sparks Brothers documentary, Mike, that was boring. It was certainly really? repetitive. It was just like, all right, here's this album. Here's that album. Here's 20 minutes on the next album. Hmm. And it, it really was kind of just around a, a and around with the Sparks Brothers. And that comes from a huge Edgar Wright fan and myself. So. Right. I'd go beyond that, and I try to listen to a couple songs on Spotify, which I do not recommend, right, before I see <laughs> well, the movie. I, you could, but... <laughs> I don't recommend it because without context, right. the songs don't make a lot of sense, and I think they really you really need the visuals to enjoy them as much as they're supposed to be enjoyed. Sorry, Sparks Brothers. But I, then again, I, I do think it's a testament to their writing and uh, their, their, their composing, but... The songs were boring, like listening to them on Spotify oh, before the movie. Interesting. So everything all together, though, in two watches, I am not bored. And I think yeah. that is a very different experience from what I had than, than what you did. This is the most exciting, boring movie I've ever seen. <laughs> like, I wish I took Anne's words more to heart and the words of, of those people at Can more to heart because I was bored. Um, but not in the way this movie also does the thing that I've been begging movies to do, where if you're going to be overlong and you're going to bore me, just like throw weird and captivating shit at me on the mm-hmm. screen to at least keep me awake. And this does that. There's plenty of all kinds of visuals. So I agree the visual aspect of this is wildly important as much as the audio aspect of this is. Um, but this was, I mean, this could have been a law and order episode and it was two hours and what, 20 minutes, 140 minutes. It was way too long for my liking so i'm going to talk about like the form a little bit but i I, you know i do think this is 
somewhat typical of a lot of mu- musicals. They're they get hunkered down in describing states of being and feelings, right? You're singing mm-hmm. your feelings. That's every freaking musical mm-hmm. uh, from the beginning of time. And they'll spend like 15 minutes on that, whereas somebody like a Greta Gerwig or a Paul Thomas Anderson or a Jordan Peele, you know, you'll have characters go on a roller coaster of emotions in one three minute scene at a coffee shop or in the backyard. Sure. Or well, we just see storytelling that's much more plot, lo- you know, just loaded with plot, loaded with ups and downs and, and conflict. The plot of this, I don't think, is enough to fill in. Correct. Two. Like, even if you add the emotional aspect of, in speaking the emotions at you and talking the subtext to you through song, there's just. I don't think there's enough movie here for two hours and 20 minutes of runtime. We get on Aaron Sorkin, but Aaron, Aaron Sorkin could tell this story in like five minutes. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> my point. Yes. Exactly. In a five minute montage, he could tell this story and he right. probably has told this Quentin story. Quentin Tarantino did. <laughs> right? <laughs> he did in his latest movie. I don't want to give anything away. but right. So I, we both saw this in theaters. I think a, a running question I'm going to have for our audience, for that matter. I'm very curious how Annette is going to play at home if you don't immerse yourself in the movie theaters. Because for me, I'm just thinking about myself. Like I, I really wanted to review this in the theaters with you, and I was pushing for that because I was like, if I try to study this at home, I'm going to be – if I half-ass pay attention to a movie like this with repetitive music yeah. – for ha- at least three quarters of the songs are just kind of round and round, chorus and chorus and chorus. Yeah. If you're looking at another screen, there's no way you're gonna you no, like you, you take yeah. away the chance that to enjoy this movie. You have to be immersed, in, like you have to make a conscious effort to be in front of this and pay attention and kind of soak it in for all it's worth. Even though and it's a double edged sword, because if you're doing that, you're going to be bored. I think most people anyway. <laughs> I, I, I truly think that. I just there's just so there's a lot of downtime and and just repetitive stuff whether it's the lyrics of the songs or the feelings that they're explaining to you over and over again i would also caution people if you have issues with like flashing lights and seizures and Uh, stuff be very careful about seeing this in theaters because there are times uh specifically in the beginning of this movie that even i started getting a little bit of a headache with how much the picture was playing with its own actual brightness and i get why carax was doing what he was doing he was trying to match the picture with the amps being plugged in and turned on and Mm -hmm. And both main characters obviously are performers of stage, and speakers play a big role into what they're doing. But it was a little much for me. I even felt myself getting a little nauseous. So if you have any kind of light sensitivity, be very aware. Uh, Carex plays with, especially with the fading in and out of double pictures and stuff. There's a lot of sensory overload overload for the visual medium here. So th- yeah, shaking camera will do that to me. But this mm-hmm. is not that. This no. is, uh, you're right, this is a very specific sensitivity. So that's good. I'm glad you put that disclaimer out there. So, all right, we've already kind of gotten to the plot a little bit in terms of a non-spoiler uh, way of going about it. But I, I do want to kind of mention that this is the Sparks Brothers' first made, produced script, right? They had worked with Tim Burton before, who who probably could do this movie in a way, but they, <laughs> they, they never got that film made. So these are two lifelong rock stars, and and rock stars in quotes to a degree because they had an early success to their career, and they've also gone on this roller coaster uh, in terms of their level of fame and their level of being niche artists, and the fact that they don't give a damn, and mm-hmm. they'll go. To, they they had these lulls in their career, which makes their story, uh, you know, a captivating one to get on a documentary, even though. I wish Edgar Wright cut that 30 minutes shorter, too. So it's from a unique perspective that can tell the old Hollywood story, that can tell the story of fame and infamy and the rise and fall and the you know triumph and tragedy of that in a specific way that I'm glad they're behind it, but I'm also like... Just it blows my mind that they went to Leos Carax, who's this cinematic <laughs> deconstructionist, and and in a way they're audio deconstructionists, they're musical deconstructionists. The Sparks Brothers they do this all the time in their in their in their songs. They make fun of the industry all mm-hmm. the time. So there's definitely a huge element of satire here, and you're wondering how much is homage and how much is uh, just just an overall fu to the industry and an fu to the. Uh, to just the, the, the themes going on as well. I would also say if you've never seen an opera, 
uh, you're going to still recognize that this is basically the, an opera put to film. Right. Because I left the theater saying, oh, it's kind of cool that they turned this movie into an opera. And I know nothing about the opera. And well, that's not a sentence that is... Like, I've never eaten a sandwich and been like, oh, this sandwich reminds me of the opera. Like, you get thing, a, a like, distinct feeling about the opera. No, but you've seen plenty, whether you know it or not, plenty of operas adapted into film. So we've reviewed them on this podcast before. And again, I don't want to mention them because it might spoil the movie because a, a lot of operas end in similar ways. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to go there, but you're, you're right. It's not it's not going to make you think of a sandwich or vice versa. <laughs> that's, that's my take on this movie. <laughs> but I do think there's a unique narrative device that happens in operas, that happens in musicals, where characters are singing their feelings and in many ways singing the subtext that you're usually getting glossed over in a normal drama and a normal dramatization especially yes. a big hollywood I mean, that's, but that, like you said that's the point of musicals right that's what musicals are meant to do so this film i think there's some elusiveness to the plot in ways even though they're not necessarily trying to hide that as much either where i think this movie sells me at the end of it is the narrative device seems to be just these these writers saying fuck it i want to understand this person this story these actions that are kind of incomprehensible to regular people and there's a lot of mitigating factors that we all deal with and yet i want to understand this character so this is kind of a no nonsense way of doing that it's a kind of it's a character study that I'm I'm intrigued by through and then afterwards. So, I, I, again, I can't really get into it until spoilers, but I, I do want to try and break this down because a lot of the reviews I've read, Mike, mm-hmm. a lot of the reviews I've watched on YouTube or, or read uh, from Can whatever, people don't get this movie, and I, I just don't understand why they don't have theories. They don't have enough theories out there. So I don't know if I get it either, but I'm definitely going to have a theory. I think the boredom sets in, Mike. I mean, I really, truly do think that might be part of it, because if every review is saying it's overlong, it's overwritten, it's overwrought, uh, you, you can lose yourself. And if you lose yourself in a movie like this, it's hard to get back. I, I could agree with that. Again, wh- why watching it at home maybe the death knell Agree for a film like this, uh, especially in terms of the Academy, like we're going to put an Oscar. Oh, do I have things to say about it as an Oscars movie? Yes. (laughs) So I I guess a a thesis question to this is, does the narrative device work? I mean, the, the quote at the, in the first song is, but where's the stage you wonder question mark, is it outside or is it within? And then they sing outside within, (laughs) outside within. Are you a Sparks brother? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I really like the Sparks Brothers, and I really like the audacity of just stating what the hell the movie is going to be in that first bizarro, weird song where, like Leos Carax did in Holy Motors, you see the performers about to do the performance, and he asks you, so may we start, just you know, make sure you hold your breath for the full two hours it's, kind of thing. <laughs> it's an unbelievable uh misdirect too because that first song is so good but uh i don't mean to (laughs) i don't mean that to sound like it did but there is a huge misdirect in that first song uh, even though the first song is is great my biggest gripe though is with the script and you kind of alluded to it already i don't think this movie even actually starts the plot of this movie until like the 91st minute Mm -hmm. well they're singing about a lot of conflict for the first 90 minutes but you can do that in we and we've seen that done not even efficiently like you could take 20 minutes and set up what they needed to they needed 90 minutes to set up in this movie i would agree and that's why i said my whole thing about pta like he could tell this greta gerwig could greta gerwig had arguments between saoirse ronan and her oscar nominated mother whose name i'm forgetting michael laurie metcalf laurie metcalf thank you he had arguments with uh, between those two that you know gave you a t- hundred versions of a net. Right, but there's a there's a difference too, Mike. Like you don't need to be that efficient. If you want to draw out the subtext, there's one way to do it. Like you can have it be snappy and be a five minute Sorkin exposition dump. You could have it be uh, you know the the Greta Gerwig argument, or you can actually write it out like so many dramas do, and it's still not going to take you. Like this is two and a half times as long as it needs to be maybe so i guess where i land at the end of the day is 
I think it's it's fascinating to me how these characters sing their feelings for ninety minutes, literally before the plot kicks in. <laughs> but it's the same, right? It's the same feelings. <laughs> However, I think they're fucking wrong. I think they're dead wrong right. about themselves and what and their read on the situations. It's it's their honest opinion at the time, but they're dead wrong, and that's why the third act makes it so interesting. And that's why I think. Carax has taken the piss out of the quote-unquote old Hollywood story, and that's why the Sparks brothers are kind of doing this meta-commentary about artistic expression and about how we typically take films in and, and, and take things in and as audience members. And uh, and obviously, I think there's definitely there's a lot to be said about fame and about mm-hmm. the price of it, etc. I think those are the themes of the movie. So... If you add a bunch of beautiful production values and performances, I'm in with this movie. But you got to be invested, like we're we keep saying. So, one way to in, be invested is is the Oscar lens and the Oscar angle of this, Mike. Because I I don't know what's going to happen with this movie. My guess is that it's going to be high on lists and get knocked off in terms of a lot of uh, a certain candidacies, but. The strongest one is probably Adam Driver as the protagonist, the lead of this film. There's a large quantity of good work here. It's not exactly against type for him because he's, he's played some characters mm-hmm. got gone into this uh, territory, but it's definitely it's definitely a different angle on a lot of this absurdity and you know overall i mean contempt he's a comedian right he's got a contempt for a lot of things that he tries to make entertaining for us as an audience for the audience in the film yeah, i wonder if bo burnham is insulted by this portrayal of him in this well movie. that's why i wanted uh, to ask you yeah now, i'm wondering how you you know recognize him you know in the context of bo burnham as well but his big emotional breakdown scene is on the comedy stage adam driver mm-hmm. So right. the quote-unquote Oscar scene, in a way, it's done as a joke. It's done as a, that meta commentary, and it's him covered in his bathrobe, and you can only really hear him. And it's in a master shot. And does that play on the Academy if they get like? It's really not an Oscar grabby film in that sense. So Adam Driver, I, I think the performances all up and down the card are, are great. Uh, I think Adam Driver is. I didn't know he can sing that well, and he has to sing every line of dialogue pretty much for two hours and 20 minutes, like we're saying. And, I mean, some of it is absurd, and some of it is good, and some of it starts in a rhyme scheme and then breaks the rhyme scheme, which just infuriates my OCD brain. (laughs) Can I say that at the beginning of the movie, when he is, like, mumbling that first song, (laughs) I was deathly afraid of this film. And, And, you know, I heard the first song was one of the few that I listened to. Uh, mm-hmm. So may we start, and he is like you and I in seventh grade choir, like just we're just trying to. <laughs> He's brooding, man. You didn't get that. He was brooding the whole time. But we're he trying knows to... where this movie's going. We're trying to get a C plus. Maybe we're not <laughs> pretending like we could get anything more than that. We're just droning on, and he's letting everybody else do the work. And I was like, "Oh no, this movie's doomed. This is so much worse than Ryan Gosling from La La Land. This is this is absolutely doomed." But then he does. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. He does prove his worth as a as a as a singer. And Marion Cotillard. I mean, she good God, the talent attached to her. Here's the problem. I think you're gonna have with any performance or any aspect of this film being nominated. This might be the most inaccessible film ever. Mm-hmm. Like who who is going to champion and campaign the Oscars chances of this? Because Adam Driver is probably going to be outdone by himself in terms of his own Oscars momentum with everyone being more excited for House of Gucci or at least a broader base being more excited for House of Gucci. Mm-hmm. I don't know the target audience for a movie like this other than, like we said, the hardcore film and theater nerds that like love this this type of, of delivery and not even just musicals, but like operatic musicals. We've been studying the Oscar nominations for a, for a while, Mike, and we've, we've gone back in history. Let me just say this. I think likable characters get nominated more often than not. I don't necessarily know these are likable characters. To, 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 to maybe, well, Adam maybe, Driver's not. <laughs> Adam Driver's definitely not, and I would say Marion Cotillard, you know, she's elusive to an extent. So, yeah, she's talented. She's got this huge operatic voice, literally and figuratively, and we get to see her belting belting out one scene after another she's elusive in the sense that i i think we we want to understand 
like we have no questions about how she understands Adam Driver, understands the rest of her world. We want to understand why she does what she does after this and why she doesn't do some other things. So that's why I'm like, I disagree with the characters in this plot and what they do. And therefore Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if the Academy who is chuck full of stars and starlets, right? They've lived this life for a long time. They're like, I've dealt with these things and I don't have to do what happens in this movie. Well, I don't what about, close. What about your screener pile argument? Like, if you have to you know, only so much time and you have to pick an Adam Driver performance to watch, you're going to reach for House of Gucci over this one, aren't you? Well, yeah, there's no question. Uh, and, and I don't know. I don't know what aspects of this movie get it more appealing to a broader base of people to get momentum to carry these performances into Oscar season. I don't I don't understand how that happens. I mean even the below the line stuff, there's some great below the line stuff, but I don't think there's any kind of camera movement or cinematography in this that's going to make people forget about the dunes and the French dispatches for production design or even like the suicide squad of the world that we talked about already. I do think there's a section of the academy that likes the deconstructivism that likes you know, the fact that they're picking apart and the sure. story is so counter... You know, they're picking apart the industry. The story is a bit counterintuitive. You know, there's a paradox with these characters and the fact that you got these huge Hollywood production values. I mean, it's it's these are loving, l- lovingly uh, done Hollywood productions. Big shots. I mean, aerial shots and superimpositions and mm-hmm. dream sequences. And then, uh, I mean, all the staging in terms of the... Uh, I mean, the production design, from the props to the staging, these are theatrical, but they're also incredibly cinematic where the camera's moving and you have, you know, the blocking for all these, you know, for the Greek chorus of all the crowd of wonderful singers and dancers to to sing these funny songs. And, and to add to that fact, the, the staging is very funny. The production design is very funny. So you have the added humor of it all. So... I think there's going to be some respect to that. And the fact that this movie comes out in August may help it with that screener pile argument. The fact that it's out early, the fact that it's going to be in front of people's faces on Amazon Prime. If they get to it early enough and enough people have a passionate vote for it, maybe it has a chance. Here's here's what I'll say about that. Yeah. I saw this movie in theaters. There was five people in the theater. By the time the end credits rolled, three people walked out of the theater because the other two had left about an hour into the movie. Well, that's the thing, though. The whole Academy votes for the winners. The whole Academy does not vote for the nominees. Mm -hmm. You have niches of the Academy voting for the nominees. That's true. That's true. People in the production design The 50 people that voted for on Rotten Tomatoes right now are all Academy members that are just really excited (laughs) about this. You never know. But, I mean, you look at Cannes. You had... You know, Tatan wins because like twelve people in the uh, jury. Right? No, you're right. I mean, there's, there's, there's. Sure, I, I agree that there's. I'm thinking too broadly about this. I just, I, I have such a problem seeing where this lands with a big audience. I will tell you this: like, I'm probably not predicting in it to win anything, even if it does get nominated. Anyway, I do, I do want to mention, like, I think the the costumes are beautiful. I think, I, I think the cinematography is legit. I mm-hmm. wonder if cinematographers think this is almost taking the piss out of their, <laughs> their you know. I, again, I, I wonder what the meta commentary is, and I wonder if this movie offends <laughs> people in the Academy at the end of the day. Because, again, they're top of the profession. So this is, this is giving you all your normal goods, and then we're criticizing the hell out of the business, right? So Was it too dark for you at times? Or was that my? Th- I, I saw other people on Twitter complain about this too, and I noticed it. I, it was it was just plain dark in my theater at times at the, oh, at the beginning, I especially. You, I thought you were like thematically or existentially. No, no, I was no, no. Say hell brightness. yes! Like this is not a happy. <laughs> happy I mean, strictly about the brightness of the screen. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't have a problem with the brightness. All right. of the screen. Well, maybe it's me. All right. Yeah, maybe get those. Uh, I just saw the wrong movie. I just watched something else completely. <laughs> <laughs> But I guess uh, here's the last point. I, I'm sorry. I had one more point. Yeah. Original song. Like, which song would you pick? There's 40 songs right. here. Right. And that's that's part of my Oscars issue with this as well. I think soundtrack or, or, or I'm sorry, score or original song are its best chances. But I don't know which one you would pick. I guess the standout one to me is So May We Start. 
but that's like the only song that really doesn't have anything to do with the plot of the movie. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know where this one would fit in Oscars wise. So may if so may we start is there <laughs> if that's the Oscar nominee, Mike, again, original song has to be rethought because there's just so many <laughs> there's so many uh, freaking uh, credit songs nominated mm-hmm. over the years that have nothing to do with the plot of the movie and that is basically a joke to lead us into the movie and to lead you into the headspace of watching mm. this movie so it has a purpose i mean i enjoyed that song it's actually a pretty darn good song uh, I, I agree i agree if you kind of just get out of driver out of your head just <laughs> yawning through it but I, I i like that song and the sparks brothers are featured in it it's great it's funny but you're right. I don't. It doesn't have anything to do with the plot, other than you know, obviously foreshadowing it. Right. Yeah. I, this is a tough one as far as where, at least for me. I mean, you're right. The, your niche argument, I think, is a good one, and maybe it does find it's you know, it's one of those movies that's polarizing, but the support it has is so fervent that it just is irresistible to write itself into a couple shortlists and a couple nominations. Even on its best day, though, I don't think you see this being nominated more than what two, three categories. Best day, I would probably agree with you. I th- I would say like production design, original song, and then Simon Helberg, which we forgot to mention. I think Simon Helberg. I'm well, sorry, that's from yeah, performances. And, and, He's the most irresistible performance in the film. I thought. I think the two best performances, and, and I mean, this is not taking anything. I think Driver's great. I think Cotillard is great. But I think the two best performances are not only Simon Helberg, but also Devin McDowell, who plays Annette. And I fully admit to being a a prisoner of recency bias, but she's stunningly good in this. In the short time that she's on screen and given given time to work with, I think the way she's able to furrow her brow and tell the story of her attitude through her eyes while she's singing this beautiful voice, I was utterly astonished and astounded, which is the dictionary definition of gobsmacked. I was gobsmacked by her. So I, I, I this is a weird movie for me. Oh my god, we see this one differently. And I, I, I look, I mean, I think you she's didn't like great her. for a kid, and that is the worst thing you can say. Like just in in general, uh, as a critic, like I can't even have the decency to just be up here, just like not along with you. I have to say the darndest thing in my own right <laughs> and be immature and thoroughly disagree with you. No, I hated her performance. In this. Really, you didn't like her that much. Well, this, uh, sorry. Well, this is, I'm sure. First of all, I think we did see this movie very differently, and I right. think that would make Leo Carrick smile. But I also think that's going to be like this is a polarizing movie. <laughs> There's a lot of different ways to see, very it, polarizing. and that just goes more towards. I, man, if this gets Oscars legs, I'll be impressed by it. So that's the thing: watch or don't watch. We think you can love it or hate it, which is why, in an evil way, I wanted to subject you for to studying this one, Michael. I don't hate it. I, I think it's a fine movie. I just I hated the runtime, if anything. Mm, mm, um, mm. But yeah, I agree. If you're gonna watch it, I mean, you, I guess you could have it on in the background, but just don't have any hope whatsoever of keeping up with it if you do. Yeah, kind of true. Well, mm. let's uh, let's break it down though, and I don't think a lot of people have been breaking it down well enough. I'm, I'm criticizing them, so I'm setting myself up for a huge failure in trying to explain <laughs> this movie. <laughs> Spoilers ahead. This is. A spoiler warning. Spoilers. 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 This is the spoiler section for the movie Annette, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar in an Oscars profile episode. If you've not seen the movie yet, this is a good place for you to hit pause. It's playing at your local theater right now, or you can give it a couple days. It'll be coming out on Amazon Prime. Uh, If you've seen the movie already, if you're just curious to hear our thoughts, or if we've hyped up the spoilers so much, as also Mike did in telling you how he's going to be the one true reviewer of this and bring to light things that you've never heard about this movie before... I just wanted to add more pressure to you. Uh, this is where you want to be. All spoilers all the time, all the time for Annette, the Oscars review by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. 
It's like the old comedian's joke, like the the guy introducing them and the funniest the comedian, world's funniest, the the single funniest man. Here comes all the wisdom, uh, and we end every episode with words of wisdom, which is a <laughs> ironic little play on this as well. So yes, Michael, I do have a theory on this movie. I don't think I'm going out on a limb in terms of my introduction to it, and that is that Annette is a tragedy. Annette is an opera, which is usually a tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> of somebody dying at the end, and I, again, I don't want to list all the the operas adapt or you know adapted into films, but we've seen them before. We've 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 reviewed many of them, and they usually end with the protagonist just either dying or having a fate worse than death. And this mm-hmm. is the fate worse than death for Adam Driver, who kills his wife, who kills potentially the other parent. To his daughter, mm-hmm. we don't, we're not sure, you know, who's the biological father of Annette, but we we have him t- killing his pr- conductor friend and uh, his wife, and this brings up the quote unquote old Hollywood story, the old Hollywood tragedy that we've seen play out so many times, whether it's Natalie Wood and Robert Wagner, you know, question marks. Uh, you know, obviously Robert Wagner has been kind of exonerated in public opinion, but we have the O.J. Simpson trial on the mm-hmm. other end of that spectrum for many people. Uh, and then you got all this you, literal commentary, literal connections to the Time's Up Me Too movement, uh, which is a dream sequence in this film, or is it? So we have a serious tragic arc with a lot of comedy in here. Do you have any doubts that Adam Driver purposely pushed his wife off the boat there? No, I actually think it's pretty spelled out that he did it purposefully. Right. And, yeah, I, th- I would agree with you. I think, yeah, I mean, he he kind of recontextualizes it later. And I think for the sake of the movie, like the first time you're watching it, maybe, like the first time I was watching it, I had some doubts. The second time I watched it, it's like there's no doubt. I don't know if you saw it differently. No, I, I, I thought it was pretty, I mean, she's, you know, warning him and warning him, and he keeps pushing her against the edge of the boat and getting closer and closer, and then there's, I mean, even when it does happen, whether or not he wanted to do it purposefully or not there, there's no remorse by him. So how funny is it then? Because <laughs> because the whole movie, <laughs> when you recontextualize what happens, it's kind of funny because he's like, I'm, I killed him, I'm a murderer, I'm a, I'm a comedian, right? That's, his, that's his, the way he describes things. And he, he he's talking about it in that sense. She's like, I've saved them. I did as an opera singer. And I just think there's a dramatic irony here that's kind of delicious in that he has contempt for her art form as an opera singer. You're just singing and dying. And I'm going to have my two biggest punchlines in, uh, in my two comedy performances about you singing and dying. And here is... <laughs> This character, who's a very meta character, who we see as a performer before we see as a protagonist, and then he is that dramatic opera protagonist in this movie. So you're saying that his disdain is for her profession is ironic in the meta sense that he's actually the lead sing- the lead character in this opera on screen. Right. He's the lead singer in an opera. Right. <laughs> and he hates... The fact that she's successful as an opera singer and to the point where he tries to exploit his daughter who just, you know, hums the beautiful song about his wife (laughs) being terrified of him. I think maybe we should not bury that lead either. Like, Annette is a doll. (laughs) Like a literal puppet for, what, seven-eighths of this movie? And I think that's funny too when it's metacomic. Like, Instead of using the child as a puppet, we're just going to have the child actually be a puppet to be manipulated in this story. I, I I do appreciate... Yes, there is some built-in humor of this, absolutely, like you were alluding to all throughout the non-spoiler section. I don't think the humor hits you when you're watching it, though. Well, it, it did get me, and it got me okay. big time afterwards. So there's like this... Strange... After, that's, what I'm, that's what I was saying. If you If you think about it after, though, I think it's more impactful. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it's about such serious subject matter. It's about murdering your wife and trying to capital, trying to capitalize on your daughter's talent in mm-hmm. the industry, right? I mean, it's just this awful thing. You're you're murdering your wife and then maybe the father of your daughter, right? <laughs> it's this awful, awful story that's hilariously told because it is a marionette puppet who might give one of the 
two best performances in the movie. Now that that may be where we disagree. You think the actual girl when it, when she the puppet turns into an actual we definitely girl. saw this differently because when I saw that puppet, all I wanted to do was punt it. I thought she, it was hysterical, and the the pup like I cared for the puppet, and I forgot that the puppet was a puppet during this movie at times. You were watching Pinocchio. I was in. I was in with the. I wanted to take good, care of that good. puppet. I wanted that puppet to smile. And I it think is a gorgeous puppet, like just customized puppet. Objectively, yeah. it, the the craftsmanship is really amazing, and I'm glad they gave a, a big credit title card to whoever made the puppet at the end. Well, I tell you what, if Simon Helberg wins an Oscar, is nominated for an Oscar, he should basically put that puppet around his Oscar because him playing off of that puppet was some of the best acting of the movie, uh, for sure. I, I just, I just think we have. We have a strange story that's actually fairly simple at the end of the day. It's so simple, and that's part of my problem with the entirety of this script. Yeah, I agree. So, all right, I guess I kind of wanted to take a stab at the main themes here, and the story's simple. He kills his wife. He, it, she's in love with his wife. He loses his fame. It, it, it eats him alive. Mm-hmm. He kills his He's an alcoholic. After they have birth, give birth to uh, to their uh, daughter, a puppet, <laughs> and after his worst performance, where he bombs completely, <laughs> they give you yeah the paparazzi thing is oh or is their marriage about to break up and yeah it does because he pushes her off the boat in a big storm <laughs> again that storm is hilarious the tidal waves around them just the just the whole surround of, <laughs> of yeah they water. did they did a lot of. Letting you know this was a stage play in the same way that I gave respect to Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and the way they kept true to to their placement and their kind of stage direction and scene direction, let you know it's basically a stage on screen. This did the same. It used instead of, you know, there was real water, but like on a real stage, you can't have a giant tidal wave coming through. So it's all just fake and it's cardboard and it's, you know, so it's extras in the back moving it up and down to simulate the waves. The fake stuff looks funny, I yes, would say, and the real stuff is stuff you marvel over, like the aerial shots of L.A. in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I love that. So he kills his wife and then tries to basically become a Hollywood dad on his daughter's talent, and he re-enlists the conductor who had a previous affair with the wife um, to, uh, you know, who was used to be an accompanist as a piano player to his, his wife's operas and now as a conductor of his own symphony. And this guy is still weirdly drawn to this family. And so maybe why, yeah. Why does Simon Helberg agree to take that gig? Cause I think he wonders about the, the daughter being his, he wants to just be close daughter. to Annette. Yeah. I, I mean, think, he, yeah, that's the answer I came up with too, but I was he just wants curious. To be close to Anne, I guess. And, right. and this is his way of doing so. And, yeah, it, it it offers him the career arc as well. I mean, he's he, he te- in the funny song about him being an accompanist at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> Helberg's great. I tell you, that wasn't even my favorite uh, scene of his. My favorite True. scene of his is when he's conducting the orchestra and he's talking to the camera and he keeps having to say, excuse me. And he exactly. does, as the camera pans around him in a circle over and over again. Yeah, Helberg's great in this. Yeah, I mean, we, we have no doubt what I was going to say. We have no doubt about his ambitions, right? I mean, he's a very ambitious person. Mm-hmm. So... Adam Driver offers him this like clear, no doubt about it. Your star's gonna rise if my one and a half year old daughter, and <laughs> my one and a half year old daughter is gonna belt out her mother's operas to the world, and of course she becomes a huge star that they cannot stop putting on wires and just floating around every room to the point where it's so absurd where she's flown down onto the Super Bowl halftime yes. stage obelisk <laughs> hundreds of feet in the air by drones and yeah. then you like the part I was dying at was they the drones don't stay with her there they leave her there just sitting <laughs> <laughs> on the edge of the damn thing so that that made me laugh hard in the moment and it makes me laugh now to this day so the fact that you know henry henry mchenry's like i'm a comedian because this is the only way i can tell the truth without you killing me and i don't believe in your values and then you know takes advantage of his daughter because exploiting her and to the point where his daughter <laughs> 
gets the wife's revenge against him at the end of the day by saying, my daddy kills people. Would that be the, the greatest world. moment in NFL history if that actually yes. happened? <laughs> yes, it's hysterical. That finale is just top-notch in terms of screenwriting. That reversal, I, like, I didn't even expect they would go that far. So that is hilarious to get him to the courtroom afterwards. Just, just perfect. Like, it, it almost ma- it, to me, it still makes the rest of it worthwhile to get that punchline. <laughs> no, I don't agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's one of the best. Punch it's a lines good punchline. I agree, but you get you get that punchline at the like what two hour and ten minute mark of this twenty five minute story. Anyway, I just think the fact that he's singing about. All of these different things uh, that that don't matter to him, and his contempt for everything, and his the fact that he looks into the abyss. I just think it's bullshit, and I think the character, I think the the writers of the story, at the end of the day, they tell us it's bullshit. Like, because everybody stares into the the abyss, everybody hmm. worries about being insignificant, and it, and it's not, and it's 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 not. Wor- worth murdering for so that's the thing like the the elusiveness of the story is the central uh i like your interpretation i like your interpretation more than uh well this is the couple times in a row you've done this now your interpretation of this i think is better than what i got out of and this is a totally i'm totally willing to admit this is a me problem as 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 a critic and a pundit but if had they focused more on saying that it was bullshit because I took him star- saying "Don't stare into the abyss" as "Don't give in to your own wickedness." Yeah, but I don't think I, I don't think it's binary, like good, bad, uh, good and evil in a sense. And I, I don't view people that way. Uh, I don't think these guys view people that way. And I don't think you view people that way for that matter either. So I, I think that's the common misper- misconception of murderers. Like they're just holy evil thing, right? But we don't understand what gets to them to that point. None of us do unless mm. we are murderers ourselves, right? So mm. I just think the audacity of tackling a story like this that has been tackled 100,000 times in cinema, I think the Sparks brothers, I think Leos Carax, they're saying to themselves... We don't understand this this uh, primal story. Nobody fucking does. So let's cut to the core of it and let's examine it, but let's take off all the bullshit and we have characters that are literally lying to themselves and lying to us all. Or at least they're lying to themselves, right? Because maybe they're honestly portraying what they can, but they don't understand themselves. He, like we don't understand why he has to murder her at the end of the day. Like we get some motivations, but it's, of course it's not, it doesn't add up. Right. I mean, you said this was your biggest, you know, we've had best picture winners where you have said in the past, (laughs) it doesn't add up. He should, Mm -hmm. that doesn't get him to murder. Right. So I don't, I don't see motivation. That's ample enough for, I mean, he's the protagonist of the story and we don't, we don't understand why he murders her. But couldn't that in and of itself be a threshold issue? Like, couldn't he say, couldn't he just be an evil guy? Maybe he, maybe the, why he I mean, murdered her, what they're saying is why he murdered her is that he. But why take would you go two hours talking about how he's nurtured this sense of uh, insignificance to where he relies on the fame, clearly? Mm-hmm. You know, once, once he loses his star, then he kills his wife. Mm-hmm. And one and and once he commits an unforgivable sin against his daughter, exploiting her talent, it is again to regain a star, which he of course capitalizes on by making the conductor raise his child while he goes out and just boozes and and, and goes around mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. cruises point. for girls. So I mean, he's clearly in the spiral of addiction and and you know he doesn't he doesn't get why he does what he does and guilt really. Even to the point where he's like indecisive about murdering the conductor. Like he doesn't know what he's going to do. He's just kind of really fidgeting out there in that pool to then he murders the. So again, I just. I think the Sparks brothers are being honest about the fact that they don't know why he murders his wife. But this is kind of the perfect storm that typically happens. So let's examine it. 
they just wanted to make a movie exonerating Cliff Booth from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> well, that's the thing, dude. We've seen, we've seen. I mean, I I, I got the novelization uh, in audiobook form that I'm gonna have to read next. So if it if it's something that you need to read, I'm gonna. You get a lot more. I know you. I, I was I was reading a couple articles, not to <laughs> do a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood takedown, but I know in that book there's a lot more about Cliff Booth's backstory, and you get a definitive answer as to what happened. I can't wait to get that. Uh, so I'm gonna, that's my next book. I got to finish. I forget. I got like five hours left in my my last book. I'm taking a long time because I'm listening to so many great podcasts. But Mike, I just think like all the Greek chorus songs in this are a lot of fun, and they kind of give you a lot of plot, and and they 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 kept me going. Like sometimes I I don't want them to sing the same song for the fourth time or the fifth time. We love each other so much. It's beautiful, but. I don't need to. And the aria has four different iterations. The aria of where's the moon, where's the moonlight or whatever, mm-hmm. where's the starlight. You know, that's that has four different versions, too. So the, the repetitiveness of the songs to get into worse here is because, like, I mean, you wrote 40 songs, but then you replay the same ones X amount of times. There's no way you need like 20 minutes per song to get what you got to get out of this. Or is there a chance they were kind of angling and the reason it was the repetitiveness was so overdone was because they were trying to get audience involvement. They wanted to turn this into somewhat of a Rocky Horror Picture Show type thing for the audience. Perhaps, you know, the sing-along factor. I yeah. you know, I don't I just think at the end of the day it's tip, you know, the the theme, the character's theme in a musical it is repetitive, right? Yeah, you think it was just mirroring what was what the text was being done. And these are reprise text. these are reprisals of the song. I mean, it's not just the same version of the song played over and over again. And he's, you know <laughs> he's mid sex act singing the song for the, <laughs> the you know, the second reprisal, right? So I couldn't stand that by the way, Mike, as far as worse goes. Like we don't need to hear the we love each other so much over and over and like we know man (laughs) the first song is a long walk through the woods right we love each other so much then there's a break and i'm like wait what song is next i thought we love each other so so much was the sex song upon rewatch and i was like oh it's still that we're gonna sing it again (laughs) during a sex montage that is comically just like you know every sex scene we've we've ever witnessed in hollywood and there he's clearly not like unless he's got a horse cock he's not connecting there <laughs> good for him so obviously they're faking it is what i'm it's saying be it's the just title ridiculous. of this episode <laughs> unless he has um so i mean that's there's there's funny moments in this movie throughout even like his comedy i mean the laugh song from the audience that that all the uh you know the the sing-along singers are with them there. Uh, you got the uh, the doctors in the round when the birthing of the child, and he's cracking mm-hmm. jokes about the kid being like, "I'm laughing there." And then At you the got like a too, yeah, but yeah, but then you got like a serious Greek chorus song. Six women have come forward about the. I mean, it's in the wife's head. We know that she sleep falls asleep. You think she wakes up, but then she doesn't. It's more of a dream, and then she wakes up at the end of it. So we know, at least in the context of the film's reality, that's a dream. But is that also part of his backstory? Because I yeah, mean, he's, I, he's a murderer. The more, you're, the more you're talking, the more I'm realizing I, th- this movie just – I just got too bored. It lost me at certain points, and I just didn't I, – I, I couldn't be as invested as I probably should have been in this. And I, I wonder if I'm alone in that. I mean, for as many people that, that kept saying – the length and the boredom was a problem. I, I wonder how much that's going to be held against this. So that's the thing. You got to be. You almost got to be in for it from an academic standpoint, yeah. and that's probably where my fascination comes in. And I'm notorious for doing it this way, and then being completely incomprehensible when I do a podcast on it <laughs> later because I didn't really write it all down in a cohesive thought. Uh, so hopefully we got the main points out, but. Yeah, I think I think if you're like nerdy about this movie, like the and, and you want to dive into the satire and the whole deconstructionist thing, there's goods to be delivered, and that's probably where I, where I land at the end of the day. Like this movie still intrigues me. I still don't quite get how they did it, and then 
if they do accomplish the whole thing of of reprimanding this character, you got no one to love, man. Like there's no, there's nothing you could do now. You're in prison for murder. Every every tragedy ends the same way. The protagonist realizes too late that he's fucked up spectacularly, mm-hmm. you know, spectacularly, and to have his daughter of all things come to life and tell him as much is again, you know, the height of some dramatic irony there within the story. Never mind beyond it. So that that's a that's a good scene in terms of the the written aspect of it. I just wish the girl was uh, the girl from the Florida Project. I'm sorry. <laughs> she's like three and i'm i'm on shocked her. i'm shocked at I am how a, much disdain you have for her i am a terrible human being uh, no i had problems with it i can't even listen to the song on spotify now mike like i thought she song. was I, I truly thought she was great i was in just blown away by the um, as much and i mean we we say this we didn't say this in the non-spoiler section but she's got in one scene and all the emotional conveyance she has i actually think adam driver singing as much as he did affected his ability to kind of convey proper emotion sometimes and, and kind of get the the viewer more interested. Whereas she was in one scene, she has basically one song, and I was blown away. I was in for everything she was doing. I thought she was great. I really did. I know you see it differently, but I, I'm surprised. I'm surprised you not only don't see it my way, but that you actively see it as having disdain for her. <laughs> I will say this. Adam Driver's best scenes are when he's under the hood. <laughs> he's under the hood on the comic stage and we can't even see his face. And we, we hear him, you know, fake breaking down or real breaking down. We right. don't know. Obviously, it's foreshadowing what he's going to do. And then we see him, like, doing the tickle time thing, which was hilarious. And it had me laughing. And his performance under I did there. Not, I see, we really did see this. I was not laughing at that. I thought that was, I was disturbing. <laughs> I was laughing. It reminded me of, like, aunts and uncles who used to tickle me ferociously because <laughs> I was a cute kid or something. I don't know. It was funny. It's weird. Our um, grades are going to be vastly different on this as well. You obviously, I mean, you're, you are championing this film. That's awesome to see. I couldn't do more than a C on this. It's just so, it's way too long for me. I got just aggravated thinking that you could do this in 40 minutes and I can be done. I could have more time. Two hours and 20 minutes is way too much for this. I would agree with you. It's it's overlong and the repetition is not, it doesn't doesn't pack the goods that you need. So I had this as a B plus on my first watch because it was kind of so new. That I was like, oh my god, I never seen anything like that. And I was a little, you know, smitten with it. Mm-hmm. I did come back to Earth and, and rewatch it, and, and I kind of, you know, I do this a lot. Like I need to see movies more than once because you can kind of comprehend them more. In I a think. Weird the, way. I think if you're going to get what you got out of this, you have to see it more than once. I agree with that. Yeah, I've reduced it to a B though. I'm like a B eighty four, eighty five. I would say. So we had me with my grudge against my uh, life enemy Alan Kim last year, and this year. <laughs> If this movie makes Oscars headway, it could be you against your forever enemy, Devin McDowell, the I sweet little innocent. I didn't want them to recast the puppet. I wanted the puppet to sing. What's so hard about that? Maybe that's the thing. I was just, I was just, I was adoring that puppet. I would have died for that puppet. And there it is. I, I am shocked by a lot of things I've heard out of you from this episode, but... There you go. I guess there's a lot to take in from this movie, as always, dear listener. What we want to hear is how did you take in this movie? Uh, what were your highs? What were your lows? Would you have died for the puppet? Do you yourself currently have hate in your heart for a adorable four-year-old girl? Uh, let us know all that and more as well. You can leave us any other thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns about anything else we do in the MMO Empire on our social medias. Uh, we are at Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike. Mike and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit, wherever uh, you hear podcasts is where we are. And if you're listening to us on the Apple Podcast app, if you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would truly make our day. Michael, any other little kids you want to talk shit to? Or uh, let's have some words of wisdom to end on here. You know what? I do think that Jerry Maguire kid was a bit overrated. (laughs) No, I think think the performances in this movie were very strong overall. Human head weighs my ass, kid. <laughs> uh, what do we got coming next? We got uh, an Oscar race checkpoint news episode for sure next, I think, because a lot of news is stacked up yeah. uh, from the uh, uh, industry at large and certainly that uh, pertains to award season. We will also have, we think, 
at the very least, some movies coming to streaming, Mike, that are going to be Oscar contenders. So Coda is probably an Oscars profile. Hopefully, mm-hmm. we got more movies coming to theaters uh, that will be Oscar profiles as well, and we'll break to cover those like we did this one uh, because we, we got a lot of news stacking up that's going to keep hitting because we're still waiting for the New York Festival lineup that could drop any minute. We're still waiting for... Uh, for a, for a lot of stuff that's going to come down the pike about uh, about Middleburg and AFI, etc., that we'll be attending in one way, shape, or form, I would say. Mm-hmm. So we're going to cover the fall film festivals maybe a few weeks later than everybody else covers them with TIFF in New York. Well, TIFF anyway, in Venice, because uh, it's just not in the cards for us to work those schedules at that time, at least for, for me. I'll speak for myself. So we will, uh, we will review a lot of these movies coming up, uh, whatever we get. Better than last year. That's all I'll say, Mike. That'll be my words of wisdom. <laughs> Whatever we get, I'm just glad to be getting something better than last year at this point. We had this and the Green Knight in almost back-to-back viewings. <laughs> but still, we've gotten, you know, what, what we else? We, we had Suicide Squad. We didn't get any big blockbusters like that last year. That's true. That's true. And thank God we had the Suicide <laughs> Squad in between for me. We had palate cleansers, <laughs> cleansers, right? Black Widow for its goods delivered, palate cleanser in it's between true. all the stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm doing some serious movie watching these days in the movie theaters, which is fun. Like yeah. we'll, watch, we'll watch old and we'll review old and then we'll, we'll we'll go into the, you know, artsy extra fartsy section and we'll watch Annette. I just pray to God theaters stay open. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have more on that, obviously, uh, in the news show. But guys, as always, when reality sucks... You can come dance with puppets with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round. Without the stuffiness, we will see you very soon. See ya.